Hello and welcome to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for hanging with us here. Four o'clock hour. Appreciate you making this part of your late afternoon. If you're a nine to fiver, 53 minutes and 28 seconds to uh, to the finish line here, you can do it. And I appreciate so much that you're including us as part of that stretch here to the end of the day here on Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. You know, as a previous listener here that we're talking on any number of subjects and often we're taking a look at things macro global kind of things. We're going to be doing that again here today, talking about some of the things that are happening around us. But certainly we also break it down to an individual level. We're looking at things that may be a part of your experience, family experience, colleagues experience. But in doing so, you also recall that nothing that we're talking about here is intended as a specific recommendation for you. Meaning that even though we're talking on specific strategies, we're probably going to talk on companies. I'll tell you in advance we are. We're going to talk on a number of publicly traded companies here today on dollars and cents that again, in doing so, nothing is intended as a specific recommendation for you. We strongly, strongly recommend that you reach out to your tax advisor, to your financial advisor, or if you'd like to reach out to us at North Main Financial Group, love to hear from you, love to chat about your particular financial situation to see if there are ways in which we might be able to be helpful to you. Online, you can find us at northmainfinancial.com. That's north like the direction, main like the street, Financial.com, NorthMainFinancial.com. Like to leave us an email address. Let us know the most preferred and desirable ways for us to contact you. Again, at NorthMainFinancial.com. Appreciate so much. Again, you hang with us here, dollars and cents uh, here at the at the four o'clock hour. We're going to get in, right into it. First segment: What's hot? When we this the what's hot segment. These are the kinds of things you might be seeing on your headlines, maybe seeing on on news programs, uh, and, and on your newspaper. Do you get a newspaper? I get a newspaper. I got a newspaper sitting in front of me. If you're watching on the social. Here, I, I always do. I like the newsprint; gets on your fingers. It, it's, I do. It's. Uh, I know that indicates how old I am, and I'm okay with that. But anyhow, you may not consume it through uh, an actual physical medium. You may have a screen. I got one of those too, sitting right in front of me. If you're watching us on the socials uh, here as well, but uh, but in whatever ways that you do here on what's hot or what's uh, what's hot on the headlines, those kinds of things that you may be seeing again. As part of your consumption of, of news, and certainly when we talk about business news, those things that are happening. I'm going to start with one here, certainly from a regional standpoint, uh, here at WSIC, talking about the kinds of things that, that we're seeing here. And uh, one, of, one of the most significant uh, employers and also impact points here in our region is the Charlotte Regional Airport or Charlotte Douglas uh, Airport. For those of you who don't know, Charlotte uh, is a hub for American Airlines. So American has a hub in Dallas, Texas, and then here on the East Coast, they have one at Charlotte. And I uh, just saw some data here come across my screen here today uh, indicating, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask producer Bill about this because this certainly has been my experience, indicating a record number of passengers came through uh, Charlotte Douglas Airport last year uh, in 2023, exceeding the previous record in 2019. Producer Bill, 53.4 million passengers through Charlotte Douglas Airport last year. Now, I have been at Charlotte Douglas Airport. Actually, I was at Charlotte Douglas Airport earlier today. I am reasonably sure there were close to 53.4 million passengers there today. <laughs> at least that's what it, at least that's what it felt like. Uh, anyhow, I mean, has that been your experience? I mean, I feel like every time I go there, morning, night, it, it doesn't matter. It has been busy, especially it, with amazing. all the traffic. Now, usually I'm just going to pick up uh, my girlfriend yep. or whatnot. Yep. Um, she's the traveler. Uh, okay. um, I got to work radio. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> 
But yeah. yes, it does seem busy. It, it is. But that's a big number. Well, it, it's a huge number. I mean, especially when, when you're looking at it from a historical standpoint for Charlotte. And of course, the whole Charlotte region is 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 growing, has been growing uh, here for a couple of decades now, but continuing to do so. And uh, and if you don't know, and if you haven't thrown, uh, flown through Charlotte recently, uh, we're also in the middle of about a $3.5 billion 10-year expansion investment in the uh, in the airport complex. Uh, and that includes building a new terminal and uh, and another parallel or another uh, uh, another runway out there. And it's again, if you've been there at all, I mean, it's it's cranes and workers everywhere uh, who, are, who are doing that kind of thing. And they're doing it to accommodate a again a significantly higher number of folks who are moving through uh, the Charlotte Airport. I mean, if you if you fly on the East Coast, especially if you fly American, if you fly on the East Coast, the chances are very very high. Whether you're going to Charlotte or not, you're going to stop there uh, unless you, your flight uh, originates in Charlotte. Uh, uh, that if you're flying from somewhere else on American on the East Coast, the chances are very good you're going to come through Charlotte. So, uh, which we're more than happy to have you do. Come spend your money, and then you'll be on your way. I'm just kidding. You can stay as well as long as you're nice. When nice people can stay, the not nice people need to keep going. All right. Anyhow, record there at Charlotte Airport there with the number of passengers coming through. All right. Uh, as, as has become a little bit of our custom here, and I'm entirely okay with this. Uh, because uh, not only do I have a, a, a cup of hot coffee in front of me as well, we like to talk about food here on uh, on Dollars and Cents. And we like to talk about food primarily because I like food. And, uh, and I don't mind sharing that with you. But we do tie it in from a financial standpoint. Certainly those companies which happen to be publicly traded or those companies that, that are a part of our, uh, our business landscape. Uh, and again, uh, Producer Bill, I'm bringing you in on this as well. Um, I, th this story is in the Wall Street Journal, and, and uh, which I just found very, very interesting. Uh, I, I find it interesting, those things that are included in news, those things that are not included in news on a national and international level. I just think that's, that's very interesting, understanding who makes those decisions, why things get included, why things don't. Anyhow, uh, along those lines, there is a genre, I think that's the best way I can describe it, a genre uh, of, of person, so let's call them a fan, and I think the, the word used by the Wall Street Journal was super fan, super fans of certain chain restaurants and specifically fast food restaurants. Now these super fans, what they do, uh, they will go to the opening of a new fast food restaurant, not, not a new restaurant, just a new location. And they will camp out at that for the first day. So the first, that first, as it's opening, you know, the kind of, you'll know, be the first in line, first one. I, mean, I th see. They sleep out and wait for the store to open so that they might be the first or one of the first persons to be able to buy something from that particular fast food restaurant. And I'm talking about In-N-Out Burger. I'm talking about Chick-fil-A. I'm talking about Raising Cane's. I mean, right. very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I'm not going to tell our station owner, Justin, that because then he'll think it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I just found it amazing. Uh, That's th where his tribe is. Oh, well, I'm just gonna say, <laughs> My people as well. <laughs> well, I guess. I mean, but I, I just found it interesting that there are uh, apparently so many people who do this that right. it, it made the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and, and again, and, and yes, there are giveaways. And so there, you know, first hundred people get a free sandwich or whatever. So I guess I, so people used to go on like, uh, you know, travel with concerts, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, now, yeah, exactly. now we've just, uh, evolved, uh, 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 well, for better or for worse. Evolved, evolved, <laughs> not, 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 not sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'll, I'll take an in and out burger. I mean, uh, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah. You got to calm down. Uh, <laughs> I, I am. I'm excited. You can see I'm, I'm, I'm literally kind of getting ready to hop out of my seat, but, uh, but I don't, 
don't know, sleeping uh, outside overnight. And the one story they had in here, I mean, was talking about a store that opened in Idaho. So I don't think it was a particularly rosy weather experience. Right. Uh, yeah. when it, whenever that was happening. Earned it. I, I mean, I mean, guess I, if you're that passionate about it, I mean, <laughs> my goodness, if you uh, want to be the first one who gets the burger or one that gets the chicken sandwich there at, uh, at Chick-fil-A, uh, pr- pretty amazing stuff that uh, <laughs> that kind of thing is uh, is out there. But, uh, but important. I mean, it's good food. I mean, I, I get it. Of course, I don't think I've ever met a bad a bad fried chicken sandwich or a bad hamburger for that's that the truth i mean i, I mean, i'm trying to think quickly have i ever had a bad experience i don't think so no. and if i did i of course expunged it out of my mind so that i can only think happy <laughs> thoughts when it comes to food and uh, and all things that have to do with that well friends i appreciate you you enduring me here a little bit with these anecdotal kinds of things but they are business related certainly large uh, entities and uh, we like to bring those kinds of things to you even in an anecdotal kind of way appreciate so much you hanging with us here on this week's version of dollars and cents presented by north Maine Financial. Hang with us as we go to the second quarter here on WSIC. We'll have more of Dollars and Cents with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby following these brief messages on 1059 100.7 WSIC. We're back now with more of Dollars and Cents with your host, Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby on 1059 100.7 WSIC. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for hanging with us in the second quarter football reference. We're still in football season. I mean, and, and, and producer Bill, I got to bring you back in. I feel like I keep uh, t- tugging on your shirt tails here. But uh, I mean, your Baltimore Ravens, I mean, are lo- looking strong. Yes. I, I mean, you got you got to be feeling good, right? I mean, you got to be you got to be feeling pretty confident coming into this weekend. One more than the big show. I, I should, yeah. I should. We yeah. got we got Taylor Swift coming to town. <laughs> you know, and the deeper you go, the more anxious I become. Because really, it's not it's not about me. My my girlfriend, she's a huge Ravens fan, okay. and that really impacts my weekend <laughs> and, and day to day. So yes, please, everyone out there listening, please root for the Ravens with me. <laughs> we need them. I need them. <laughs> yeah, I, I I hear you. And I, I think that's a legitimate request, and, oh, yeah. I, and I think come from producer Bill <laughs> that uh, that if you don't have a dog in the fight, you definitely want to have the uh, the Ravens on your on your scorecard there. So, but uh, but yeah, another weekend, big weekend, playoff weekend, lots of money involved. Gosh Almighty! Speaking of football, now, yeah, we're gonna stick with it. I know you're here for uh, for dollars and cents. We're, we're getting to it. Football is billions of dollars. That's why we're talking about this. My understanding, Producer Bill, you, I'm sure you know better than I do, uh, but I just saw this before uh, I came into the studio here today, that uh, our Carolina Panthers hired a coach. Uh, did, did, did I see that correctly or I, maybe I, not? I wasn't sure if it was official, okay. uh, but I did see something saying that it was definitely going to happen. I see. So maybe, maybe that's uh, that might have been some... Right. Sport- Offensive coordinator of the Tampa, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yes. Yes. So so, so we're going to toss in some real irony here. So we're bringing in the offensive coordinator for Baker Mayfield, who yeah. we... Okay. Right. That's, that's fair. Yeah, some weapons on the outside. <laughs> we need us some Mike Evans, something, some, you know, of, some of Tampa's toys. <laughs> fair, fair. You know what? That, that, that is fair. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I, so I wasn't familiar with him, saw his name, but I, but we, uh, we moved Dan Morgan, I think, into the general manager yeah. space, right? Yeah. So, so if I, if I remember correctly, this gentleman's name is Dan. So we're going to have the Dan and Dan show. The Dan and Dan is, is, uh, <laughs> is, is what we're going to have here. No, and we're hoping for good things. And, uh, of course, and, always. and, and uh, because the glass is always half full, I uh, can't say it's early in the season. Season for this season, but it is early for next season. That's it. And uh, we start out with the same record that everybody else does. So looking forward to that. So, all right. So, uh, all right, a little bit of football there. Anecdotally, appreciate so much you hanging with us here into the second quarter here on Dollars and Cents. Right as we were going to break there, we were talking about food. 
because we like to do that, because food's fun. Uh, but we're talking about a group of folks. It's in the Wall Street Journal. Don't uh, don't take my word for it. If you get the paper, it literally is on the front page, lower left-hand side. You take a look at it. Fast food fans aren't in a hurry uh, for that on your Wall Street Journal here today. So kind of interesting, a little bit anecdotal. All right, let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk a little bit market. We usually do markets in the fourth quarter in terms of talking about where we're seeing things currently and what we see things going forward. A little bit of a teaser. I want you to hang with us definitely uh, as we get to the fourth quarter. A little bit later on in the show, but I got to bring up one uh, one company in particular because of how popular they are, how much they dot the headlines in terms of uh, how they move, where they move, how the company is moving, and of course it's because of its founder and owner, and, and I'm talking about Tesla. Uh, Tesla came out uh, last night on their um, on their earnings call, and and I would say uh, that from so this is my perspective, this is subjective look at things, and what I'm going to say next, uh, probably not as rosy of a picture as the investing public desired. And that was reflected, that is reflected uh, in its current stock price. It was down, I think, uh, just before close, it was down about 12 or 13% in one day. That's a pretty sizable move, especially for a company the size that Tesla is. To move double digits in one day is is pretty significant, any way that you cut it. And so uh, this is not me saying, again, this is uh, the caveat, this is not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold Tesla. Uh, everybody's situation is unique, but very interesting, again, for a company that's that popular to move that much, because I really didn't hear anything in the uh, the quarterly earnings report that sounded cataclysmic or that that was like, oh my gosh, this this is you know this is dire, these are dire straits, which you would expect for uh, for a stock price to move again double digit percentage in one day. Uh, so kind of interesting to see that. I, I, um, I yes, I anticipated that as they didn't come out and say that everything was perfect, that there was going to be perhaps a modest sell off, but quite a bit more than I anticipated. And so going to be kind of interesting to see what Tesla does. The reason why is they came out and said that they anticipated uh, some level of. Uh, weakening in intensity of buying, meaning that the buying public that they saw going forward into this next quarter was not going to be as intense in buying. And, and interestingly, you've heard me say this on, on previous versions of Dollars and Cents, interestingly as well, we have seen weakness from a um, from a buying intensity for other manufacturers as well. So not as prolific in the EV space as Tesla, but we've seen it from Ford, from GM, from Nissan, uh, from Toyota. Uh, we have seen a weakening of buyer intensity. Fr frankly, fewer folks buying cars. And we're seeing a significant increase in inventories of electric vehicles right now, meaning that the number of cars that are out there for sale are increasing significantly as the number of buyers are decreasing. Of course, that's pretty, pretty standard when you're looking at uh, supply-demand ethos. But when we're looking at it uh, in terms of spreading across multiple manufacturers, it doesn't surprise that uh, that. Tesla would come out and say that when we're looking at it in that context. So very interesting to see that. We're going to continue to watch it uh, because, again, it is so uh, top of the headline sort of thing uh, that we see in our space, and I'm sure it may be on yours as well. Again, not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold Tesla, but, uh, but certainly important for us to keep in mind. Germany. Uh, and that's a, that's a hard pivot. You saw that there. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even grease the skid. We just moved overseas. We're looking at countries now, right? Instead of uh, instead of countries, uh, Germany. We had some data come out of Germany from uh, business surveys. So this was a, a survey taken by one of the news agencies in uh, in Germany talking about business sentiment. And we have that here in the States as well, meaning we have a number of different surveys. University of Michigan puts out a big one on uh, on a frequent basis. It talks about consumer sentiment, producer sentiment, I mean, you may... Um, 
those folks and entities that produce things, and then consumer sentiment, meaning how folks are feeling relative to the uh, as being a consumer and their thoughts about where the economy is overall. What makes it kind of interesting relative to the survey that I saw coming out of Germany was uh, was the slower growth rates. And and when you talk about Germany's influence in the EU, in the European Union, they're pretty much at the top of the list, meaning in terms of the size of their economy and the influence that they have over the economic movement of the European Union. Uh, I, I think it's... Uh, maybe marginally argumentative, but they're, they're at the top of the heap. I'll say that. You can disagree with me. Call into the studio, 844-788-3464 if you disagree. Happy to uh, to trade economic data with you. Uh, not on the air here. Are you kidding? I got to keep you guys interested. I might put you directly to sleep. But uh, but <laughs> quite seriously, it's uh, it was interesting to see that because we're not seeing that here in the U.S. And so I'm going to bring out a couple of data points. We're going to touch on them here. Probably going to touch on them in the third quarter of, uh, of today's Dollars and Cents show as well. But, uh, but when we're looking at the data points that we saw with regards to this survey, this business survey, and again, I don't want to get extrapolated too much with what we're seeing here, but it was so different from what we're seeing here in the U.S. and with, a, with an economy the size of Germany, again, the largest in the EU, arguably the most influential in the EU. It definitely hits our radar screen at North Main Financial. So when we saw that, uh, it, meaning the anticipation of a significant slowdown in growth uh, there in Germany for this coming year, at least insofar as the survey results indicated, when we're coupling that with data points that we're seeing here in the U.S., they, they are incongruent, meaning they just don't run together uh, here very well. So I'm going to bring up a couple more data points that we had here that literally came out today. Uh, that were surprising. I, I, well, I shouldn't say that. Let's say surprising relative to what was expected by uh, the group of economists who were polled or surveyed in advance of knowing what the data points were. Uh, we had GDP uh, growth today, and we had uh, a new uh, round of unemployment claims, which you get every week uh, on, or generally speaking, every week here on uh, on Thursdays, right before uh, right before the time of this uh, recording or of this live broadcast, if you happen to be tracking it. But uh, but we got 3.3 on the, on the GDP, so that that was interesting. 3.3 uh, year over year marked to the lot to last month. Uh, there was uh, an expectation we'd be closer to two, and so marking at 3.3, even though that's down from 3.4 uh, the previous month year over year. Uh, still very interesting, uh, growth-wise, continuing to be strong. And then unemployment claims, uh, right around 225, 225,000, which I know sounds like a big number, but when you look at it with regards to the size of our economy, the size of our workforce, it really isn't that large of a number at all. And as a matter of fact, it's pretty normal, uh, meaning that that's, that's a normalized kind of number, normalized kind of experience, maybe even a little light in terms of the number of claims there. So when we put that those data points together, uh, we don't see, and again, there are other data points. Those aren't the only ones. I'm not saying that this is a, a full-on then interpretation of what's happening to us from an economic standpoint, but we're not seeing the kinds of usual harbingers of, of what a negative experience in the economy might be. Meaning, that, put that 10-cent phrase aside, we're not seeing bad things in, in mass at this point. Yes, there are bad things. There are always bad things. you got an economy of our size. There's always something going sideways or, or undesirable from an economic or financial standpoint, but we're not seeing them in mass, and we're not seeing them in the usual spaces. And, and I'll admit, i, I got to raise my hand very quickly again. You've heard me say this on previous shows here on Dollars and Cents. Very surprised. I, I thought we would have more of an indication of a slowdown, uptick in unemployment, slowdown in growth, um, companies pulling back from a CapEx, capital expenditure uh, standpoint, consumer slowdown in spending. Haven't seen it at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to see it. Frankly, I think that's still ahead of us. We're going to talk about that more in the fourth quarter of today's Dollars and Cents show. But, uh, but it's, it hasn't happened to this point. And, and that's, that's surprising. 
because, you know, we're a year and a half, no, or more than that. Goodness, we're almost, we're getting close to two years here. Uh, no, excuse me. We got, we're a little over a year, excuse me. And uh, in, in terms of this raising cycle and goodness, we should be, well, in a different space on a relative basis when you look at historical data in terms of, what, of, of what's happening to us economically. And we're not, that's very surprising. And so we're, we're cautious, you know, we're not getting too carried away, but I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing the performance in the stock market that we are, meaning the positive performance. Now, when I say positive performance, got a caveat again, you know, you know, me caveats. I got to, got to make sure you understand what it is that you're seeing just because the index is increasing or that there are quote green days in the market. doesn't mean that every stock is doing well uh, in the stock market. It doesn't. And I know that may sound maybe a little bit intuitive to you, but I have conversations all the time say, well, the market's doing wonderful because fill in the blank index is doing well. Well, that's not necessarily what that means. That just means that however that index is computed is doing well. It doesn't mean necessarily that all stocks are doing well. Again, this year, it's a very narrow market. You got big uh, technology companies were really banging away from a performance standpoint. You have some performance there in the oil and energy center, sector, some in the financials really recovering out of just a horrible year last year, but not much else beyond that. So very interesting to see that. We're going to continue to watch it, uh, certainly. But I want to Make sure that, you, that you're understanding that these data points that we're seeing here in the U.S., to this point, again, we're not seeing the kinds of negative impact points that we thought we would have at, uh, at this point. So we're going to continue to watch it closely. Obviously, we're going to bring you any changes that we see here on Dollars and Cents so that you can make informed decisions when it comes to your financial life to the, to, and understanding the economic aspects of the things that are surrounding us here, and hopefully so that that can mean good things for you in terms of the decisions you make with your portfolio and your financial plan. Friends, I appreciate so much hanging with us here on Dollars and Cents. Hang with us here as we get into the second half here on WSIC News Talk Now. Dollars and Cents with your host, certified financial planner, Joshua Doby, continues straight ahead on 105.9 100.7 WSIC. It's Dollars and Cents with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby on 105.9 WSIC. Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much. Hanging with us here in the second half football reference. We're still in football season, right? We've got a couple more weeks to go. we got the big dance out there in, uh, uh, in a couple of weeks here. Second week of February, Producer Bill, I think, uh, is at the Super Bowl. Does yes, that, I believe you're correct. Does that sound right? Yep. Or at least the second weekend, anyhow, yes. that uh, that I think is out there because we got our uh, championships, conference championships here, and then we got the week off, and then we got the Super Bowl. All yep, right. You're on it. So that we can get uh, as much uh, of, of, of that uh, experience <laughs> uh, as we can here. But I appreciate so much you hanging with us into the second half here on Dollars and Cents. I want to uh, touch base on a. Um, uh, something we got through uh, YouTube, Rob. I appreciate so much you, you're watching us on YouTube and uh, checking in with us here on Dollars and Cents and also raising this kind of question. We, we get this kind of question that Rob has raised here frequently, and it's and it's a very instrumental part of portfolio construction and also for uh, the kinds of the mitigating risk. And so Rob raised the question, uh, basically, what, what are some, some tools, what are some strategies that we use at North Main Financial with clients to manage risk in a high-risk portfolio? Now, that's a general question, and it should be a general question because here comes the caveat. All right, hold on. Everybody's situation is unique. Everybody has their, their particular portfolio structure, desires, goals, all that good kind of stuff. So what I'm going to be talking about here is not intended as a specific recommendation for anyone, including Rob you. But I'll give you some, uh, uh, some things to think about here when we're talking about managing risk. First of all, when you say you have a high-risk portfolio, what exactly does that mean? Now, I, I know generally what the spirit of it is, but you want to identify what that means, meaning that... 
what are the kinds of events that can actually produce a negative risk experience? I'm just going to use the stock market. It's an easy one. I'm going to use indexes, right? Because that's an easy thing for us to think about. So let's say that you happen to be invested in an S&P 500 index fund. All right. So you own, let's say, the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund, very widely used, very uh, often used. And so you want to be able to manage the risk or the downside risk of that fund moving in a negative direction. Several different tools that you can utilize. There are what are called inverse ETFs that are out there, inverse exchange-traded funds. Again, not a recommendation, but what they do, just like the name suggests, is that if you have an inverse S&P 500 ETF, it moves in the opposite direction of what the S&P 500 index does. Now, what that does, if you think about it, S&P 500 index goes down, inverse S&P 500 index it inverse S&P 500 index ETF increases. So it helps to mitigate some of that downside risk. So it's one of those tools that's out there that you can utilize to mitigate that risk. Second item that's out there, options contracts, calls, puts, various strategies that you can utilize to protect yourself. Let's say you own a single stock position. Let's say you own something like Apple or Amazon, Microsoft, Netflix, Google, which is now Alphabet, Meta. I'm, I'm naming all the tech names because those are the ones that are very popular uh, right now. But let's say you have a concentrated stock position. One of the things that you can do is to buy put contracts or buy the option to put that stock to someone at a specific price. What that allows for is if the stock price drops and it drops below that strike price on the put, you can put it to somebody at a specific price, mitigate your downside risk. That's another strategy that we see folks using. Another option that folks sometimes use, and this is this is really a plain Jane kind of thing, but it's real, is to use cash or, or to use some alternative asset to whatever you happen to own, which may be higher risk, which moves in what we call a negatively correlated direction. All right, there's your dime phrase. What that really means is kind of like I was talking about with the inverse ETF, you want something that's going to move in the opposite direction of wherever your high risk element is to be able to reduce what the downside risk is. And I know that sounds a little bit like doublespeak, but basically you want something going in the other direction whenever things are going negative. You want something to go up whenever things are going down. And that's how you reduce, or even in some cases eliminate, that risk out of a portfolio. So Rob, it's a great question. Definitely something you want to take a look at. We are blessed, we truly are in this day and age, that we have multiple avenues, multiple tools to be able to use. We didn't always have them. I mean, ETFs are a relatively new uh, creation, and they create a very liquid way for you, in this case, to be able to mitigate some downside risk if you would so choose to use that element. But uh, but there are several different easily accessible tools that are out there. Definitely want to do that. Rob, you're asking the right questions because the best time to be thinking about reducing risk is before that negative event happens. After it's happened, not a whole lot you can do. So definitely want to be doing that beforehand. You're asking the right question. Rob, thanks so much for watching. Keep watching. And certainly if you have other questions, relay them on here to us. All right, friends, we're in the second half here. I want to bring up a, um, a well, I'm I'm going to do the anecdotal one first, right? Because uh, uh, we like that kind of stuff here. Just, I got to keep you interested. All right. I, I, I can talk, you know, options and put call strategies here all, all, all day long. And uh, I'd have to get you out of your slumber by the time we get to the five o'clock hour. So Polaroids. Now, now, producer Bill, I, I have to ask, I mean, do you, do you, when I say Polaroid camera, do you have any idea what I'm describing? I do. Oh, so I do. See, you, make, I do. you make me feel better all the time. Yes. Even if you're lying, I'm going to take that as a truthful <laughs> answer. Uh, that's because Polaroid cameras are something that are a little bit more uh, to someone of, uh, say, my age demographic. But I'm saying that because apparently there still is a significant amount of desire and demand for real cameras. 100%. Which I think is very interesting. Yes. Because in this day and age, when we have all these handheld smart you know, supercomputer phones, 
uh, which, which have cameras that are, I mean, arguably better than some television production cameras sure. that, uh, that we have here. I find it interesting that Polaroid cameras are still desired. Yeah, uh, I have one. Get out. Are you, I do. Are you A serious? great gift. Yeah. See, that's that. I didn't. I had I, friends. I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't know that before. I'm bringing up this particular point here on dollars and cents. I just found it interesting as I was doing some research for today's show that I came across. There, and it's, there's not just one model. There oh, are yeah. several. Oh, models. There's a bunch. Yeah. And it is literally the instant production of the actual picture. Of meaning the picture, uh, correct? I mean, that's all all the way back to the 1970s. I mean, I, that's, <laughs> that's literally it. growing up. And uh, and you know, see, it's, it's everything cyclical. Markets. You're talking about Polaroid cameras. You're talking about f clothes, fashion. I mean, I kept my uh, I kept my aviator sunglasses from the first Top Gun, <laughs> literally from the, uh, watch me in 1986. I kept my aviator sunglasses. Boom, back in style. Another Top Gun too, and Tom Cruise still looks the same as he did in uh, in 1986. <laughs> something about that guy. Uh, there's something about him. So anyhow, but uh, but the full circle here. So Polaroid, and, and you can and you can get some pretty sophisticated Polaroid cameras now as well. I mean, really jazzy stuff that's uh, that's out there. You can spend a hundred dollars. You could spend seven hundred dollars. On, uh, on 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 these instant picture cameras, uh, Polaroid's not the only one. Fuji has a couple of models out there as well, where again, you take the picture, for those of you who don't know, so for those of you who are under the age of, say, 30, and you, you have no idea what I'm describing right now, these are actual cameras that you hold in your hand, and you snap a picture, and it produces a picture, a hard copy of a picture, something you can hold in your hand, not just on your phone or in the cloud or anything else, something you can hold in your hand instantly, so within seconds, uh, it produces this uh, th this hard copy of a picture. So kind of cool stuff. I think it's amazing. I mean, I thought Polaroids were all but dead. Right, and, uh, right. and and sure, I, I think it's really cool. There that is something well. to, to holding it, I guess. I think yeah. so, right? Yeah. I mean, just that physical experience of holding it, to be able to put it in a frame, you know, instead, not not a digital frame, you know, right. it's, it's actual frame, actual picture. See, everything, everything yeah. has a cycle associated with it. I think it's awesome you have one as well. Yeah. That's very cool. I'll bring it in one day. I love it. Absolutely. We'll put it right here on the table. That's so if you're watching it. us on the socials, we'll have it right here. I may take a picture of you watching me on the <laughs> All right, that, that, that'll confuse you a little bit, right? If you think about that. All right, let's keep going here. Cedar Fair and Six Flags. You heard me talk about uh, in a previous show uh, that we were talking about um, uh, Cedar Fair, which is the parent company for our local uh, amusement park here, Carowinds, uh, and Six Flags Entertainment, Six Flags uh, operating amusement parks around the country uh, in a, um, a merger agreement, buyout, let's, let's call Cedar Fair buying out Six Flags, at least insofar as the nomenclature is concerned, but basically a merger, $2 billion in, uh, in merger. Getting a little headwind right now from the uh, Department of Justice, meaning they're looking at it from a, um, a competitiveness standpoint, meaning that the merger might reduce competitiveness in the amusement park space. You know, you're probably in the, my subject of look at it, you probably do have an argument from the DOJ that is legitimate in, in my opinion, because there just aren't many large amusement park operators around the country. I mean, you have your, your hyper-concentrated ones like your Disney's, uh, et cetera. But when you look at ones that own multiple locations around the country, yeah, Cedar Fair and uh, Six Flags are certainly among the larger ones. So the DOJ is taking a look at it. Now, uh, Cedar Fair and, and Six Flags have both come out and said, we're going to do whatever's necessary. If they need to make a restructure of the deal, if they need to uh, move in different directions in order to get the deal closed, they've been very uh, vociferous in saying that they want to get it done. But I found that to be interesting, the DOJ coming out and saying that uh, uh, that they're, they're looking at it very 
closely and they're slowing down the deal in terms of its completion. Pivoting here, uh, taking a look, I, I found this uh, data point to be kind of interesting. Uh, Pew Research Foundation and Pew, P-E-W, if you're familiar with them, been around a long time and, and do surveys of all shapes, sizes, and varieties with some regularity. So very reputable. Took a survey and, and this, was, um, this was talking about the relationship between parents and kids and how much parents continue to financially support their kids well after what we would consider normal child-rearing areas. Now, when I say normal, let's, let me put brackets on it. Let me say for kids ages 22 to 34, uh, meaning that particular uh, uh, age bracket, excuse me, 22 to 40, uh, in that particular age bracket, uh, they took a survey, about 4,500 folks were a part of the survey. Very nearly 60%, 6-0% of kids age 22 to 40 are receiving some level of financial assistance from their parents. I'm going to say that again. 60%, 6 out of 10 of, uh, of kids between the ages of 22 and 40 receiving some level of consistent, I should say, consistent and ongoing financial assistance from their parents. I found that to be very interesting. You know, and I understand I'm a little bit older and came out of a little bit of a different genre in terms of upbringing. I get all of that. It's a different time. And, and certainly the pandemic had, had a big effect on that, meaning in terms of the number of, let's call them young adults, who moved back in with mom and dad during the pandemic for any number of reasons. And in some cases, because they had to, meaning that they didn't have other options, job loss, uh, those kinds of things uh, that were restricted during the pandemic. And, uh, and so that, I think that probably has exacerbated this number or exacerbated this, uh, this data point a little bit. But I still found it interesting, very nearly six out of 10 uh, between the ages of 22 and 40 receiving some kind of financial assistance from, uh, from parents. And then uh, somewhat anecdotally, but it's certainly correlated to, uh, to that kind of data point, 38% of home buyers under the age of 35 received a down payment gift from their parents this last year, meaning that, uh, so let's call it a little bit more than a third uh, actually, notably more than a third, actually doing a uh, percentage-wise, of uh, home buyers under the age of 35 received a uh, down payment from their parents. So very interesting, very interesting uh, on a number of different levels. Very interesting in terms of the number of folks who are receiving financial assistance from their parents. Very interesting as well, I think. Uh, also, it speaks to the wealth transfer aspect of things. I've talked about that on previous shows here on Dollars and Cents, talking about the wealth transfer of the uh, of the of the previous two generations, the older generation, certainly the baby boom generation. Uh, we're, talk we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars in wealth transfer that's going to be happening here. Now it's just happening a little bit faster. And, and so that's one way to look at it as well. They'll say, well, instead of doing it at death, doing it before we pass away, we do that a lot at North Main Financial Group uh, in terms of understanding estate movement, both while you're living and at passing. So uh, that can be a strategy that a lot of folks use uh, in uh, in doing that. So a very, very important uh, item. I think it's it's a collection of data points. I don't know that it's indicative of anything from a societal standpoint, but certainly we're going to be watching that. I think that's a big deal. And, uh, and seeing how that kind of movement from a financial standpoint is certainly impacting things. So, uh, so again, we're going to be watching that. We're going to, uh, in the fourth quarter here, we're going to be talking a little bit about what to know uh, here as we're entering the tax season. And uh, so I want you to hang around. We're going to be talking markets, I promise. Hang with us here on Dollars and Cents, presented by North Main Financial, here on WSIC News Talk Now. Keep it right here. Dollars and Cents with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby will return shortly on 1059-100.7 WSIC. Call now to speak with Certified Financial Planner Joshua Doby at 844-STUDIO-4. It's Dollars and Cents on 1059-100.7 WSIC. 
Hello and welcome back to Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm your host, Joshua Doby. Thank you so much for hanging with us. Fourth quarter, you're almost there. 11 minutes, 57 seconds until you get to the five o'clock hour if you're a nine to five. Appreciate so much you having us on here on WSIC, listening to Dollars and Cents as we're talking about all things economic and financial. Now, I teased you up a little bit as we were going out to break there at the end of the third quarter and uh, said we we're going to talk about some things about what to, uh, about what to know. And uh, so we do the what's hot, I tell you what's going on in the headlines here. Now we're getting into what to know. Uh, I want to include this because it's that time of the year. I know nobody likes to think about income taxes. I certainly don't. Nobody does, right? It's not a pleasant kind of experience unless you're getting a big refund, which probably means you overpaid, which isn't all that good. But at least you're getting a refund. So yeah, you want to you maybe get a little bit excited about that. But on what to know, I want to, I want to talk about uh, something just to keep in mind. You may be aware of it already. And if you're not, you may be aware of it at some point in the future. And it has to do with a tax form called a 1099-1099. just happens to be the name of the form. Uh, and that is usually an indication of some kind of taxable income experience for you. Now, you may be, if you are an employee of an organization, receive your tax form in what's called a W-2 or as an employee, a W-2 uh, form. Not talking about those. It's a separate item. It's connected, somewhat related, but not, uh, not the same thing. And uh, so what I'm talking about here is a 1099. Sometimes uh, they, they can be considered passive income uh, kinds of things, but it also can be from active sorts of things as well. I'm going to be talking on a couple of different iterations here. There are several different 1099s that you may or may not receive. I'm going to be talking about some of the ones that we generate and uh, meaning that actions that we take generate at North Main Financial and that our clients utilize. So the first one is a 1099 DIV, David Indigo Violet, uh, 1099 DIV, which gives you an indication about dividends and uh, possible possibly passive capital gains, which have been paid out to usually uh, from a mutual fund, but also from a stock or an ETF or other kinds of income producing instruments during the year. It doesn't have to be, and in this instance, it's not from making a sale or a purchase of, uh, of any security, but rather is a passively received sort of thing that as a result of being a shareholder of that particular security, you received dividends and, and possibly passive uh, distribution of capital gains uh, into uh, into into your account or in cash into your bank account. And so you get a 1099 DIV indicating the amount that was paid to you during the course of the past year. So that's something that, again, we see a lot, especially with mutual funds, ETFs, but also with individual stocks as well. If your stock uh, pays out a dividend uh, for bonds as well, and there's an indication about whether that bond interest is or is not taxable, if it's a municipal uh, bond in the uh, from the state where you live, it may not be taxable to you on a federal and state level, but there will be an indication of that again on the 1099 DIV. Now the next 1099 that I'm talking about here is 1099B as in Bravo. Now for a 1099B as in Bravo, uh, that is due to an active movement, meaning that you have made some kind of sale process inside of your account. And that 1099B can indicate, doesn't always indicate on there, especially if there isn't, is not an indication of cost basis, it will indicate whether there has been a gain or loss scenario as a result of that sale. Meaning that if you own a fund or you own a stock and you made a sale in the past year, and there was an indication with the firm that holds uh, uh, that particular security about what your cost basis was or how much you paid for it, it will show you the difference either in a positive or a negative way. So it'd be a capital gain or a capital loss kind of scenario on your 1099B as in Bravo form. So what that does, again, you, when you have that kind of declaration, then you also need to put that on your tax return as well. Uh, but it may be not just a gain scenario like you have with the 1099 day, uh, DIVs, 
Well, with 1099Bs, it may indicate a capital loss scenario. So you may be able to use that to offset against some income or offset against other uh, capital gains, but that would be a loss scenario that you would then declare on your tax form. The last one that I'm gonna mention here today uh, relative to 1099s here on what to know is a 1099R as in Roger, 10-1099R uh, as in Roger. Now, these forms are specific to distributions from retirement accounts. That's probably why they're using the letter R. So, uh, so it's probably uh, the reason that that particular letter is used when we, we take distributions from retirement accounts. So if you have an IRA, a 401k, a Roth IRA, a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, and you've taken a distribution from it uh, in the past year, you will receive a 1099R as in Roger form. You will also receive a 1099R if you are moving between retirement accounts. So let's say you roll over a 401k into your personal IRA, you will receive a 1099R as in Roger form. Now, and when you do it, what's called a trustee to trustee transfer, which basically means you move from one retirement account to the other, it will show that you have moved money out of the retirement account, but it should also show in most instances that that's not a taxable event. It will also indicate that if you've just taken money as cash money out of a retirement account, let's say a traditional IRA or a pre-tax IRA, it probably will show, not always, but it probably will show that that amount is taxable to you. So it will show that to you in, in the various boxes that are on the 1099R. Roth IRAs, usually, uh, when they when you follow certain parameters, not going to be taxable to you in terms of in income, and it will indicate that as well on your 1099-R. So let's just do a quick recap. 1099-DIV, usually passive income, dividends, and passive capital gains, often from funds or from ETFs, but also from individual securities like stocks. 1099-B, as in Bravo, usually when you have sold something, meaning it's showing whether you had a capital gain or a capital loss as a result of that sale, if the cost basis or the amount that you paid for it is given or known by your uh, custodian. It will indicate whether you have a capital gain or a capital loss. And then a 1099R is in Roger. That is, an, uh, that is uh, when you have a distribution from an IRA, traditional IRA, 401k, SEP IRA, simple IRA, Roth IRA, showing the amount that was distributed. And also when you make movements between retirement accounts, even if you didn't take anything as cash, the previous custodian has to note that that funds moved out of one account and moved into another account. So those are some important things to keep in mind. If you have an investment portfolio and you've made any kind of moves or you have accounts that that pay out dividends and, uh, and capital gains, or uh, if you took a distribution from a retirement account, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't received it yet, you're going to receive it here shortly. Uh, they have until the end of the month, January 31st, uh, legally to be able to distribute those to you. We get a lot of phone calls. You know, do you have the 1099s yet? Yes, we probably can uh, get them to you, but legally they don't have to be produced until January 31st. So if you don't have them yet, don't be concerned. First, second week of February, you should have them and get your tax return filed. All right, pivot here, market. In the last couple of minutes here on today's Dollars and Cents, I want to talk about where the markets are. I got to raise my hand quickly uh, because I'm very surprised. I had a little bit of a conversation even before we went on air here, talking uh, talking with the chief, Justin, about, uh, about what we've seen in the markets. Very surprised, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm saying for myself, very surprised in terms of just in terms of the stock index movement that we've had here uh, in the first couple of weeks of the year. Now, what does that mean in and of itself? Not enough, not enough for me uh, to give an indication about where the year is, but certainly enough of an indication that surprising coming out of the strength of last year as measured by our most popular stock indices. Now, you've heard me say a number of times here on Dollars and Cents, you'd wanna be careful about how you take a look at our most popular stock indices, because that's not necessarily an indication about how the entire stock market is doing. It's an indication about the companies that influence those stock indices the most, how they're doing. Give you an example, you hear me say this a lot, 
If you're a longtime listener of Dollars and Cents, you're probably going to roll your eyes what I'm going to say next. That's okay. I've got to explain this all the time. S&P 500 index, one of the most often used indexes that's out there. It is what is called a market cap weighted index, meaning that the largest companies by market capitalization think the biggest companies in the world, think ExxonMobil, think Amazon, think Microsoft, just passed over $3 trillion, by the way, in terms of market cap, think um, uh, Meta, think oh, oh, just over $1 trillion, by the way, with Meta here in the last uh, last couple of days. Uh, Alphabet, the parent of Google. So when you think about the biggest companies in terms of market capitalization, the largest, the most valuable companies in the world, they're going to have a much larger impact over the S&P 500 index than other companies which have a smaller market cap. That is to say, the bigger you are, the more impact that you have. Last year is a great example of that. People look at the S&P 500 index and say, wow, it was an amazing year in the stock market. Mm. Actually, it was an amazing year for about 11 companies, literally. Actually, you can even narrow it down uh, further than that. There's a little bit of a moniker out there, the Magnificent Seven, uh, that's uh, been attributed to seven of the largest technology companies that just had banner years last year. Um, so yes, let's call it uh, seven to 11 companies that, that provided over 85% of the S&P 500 index's performance last year. Meaning you take those out, it was a pretty mediocre year relative to the S&P 500 index. That's important to keep in mind. It's important to understand that when we're talking about indexes. The other ones are, are done different ways, the Dow, NASDAQ, Composite. I'm not going to get into those right in this moment, but you want to take it with a grain of salt or at least an understanding about how those indexes are put together so that you're looking at things in an apples-to-apples -apples kind of way. All right. So again, very surprised in terms of how things have started this year. Uh, so what do we expect for the balance of the year, right? Multi-trillion dollar question. So for, you know, this is the, that's why we're here. I'm going to start out with the, with, uh, the answer that I always give you? I have no idea. Neither does anybody else, by the way. Nobody does. Now, there are folks who take a look at history like we do and, and do some extrapolation based upon history about what we can expect, or in my world, probabilities of what to expect, meaning where are the percentages leaning, uh, because it's very rarely a, a very rarely a 0%, 100% kind of scenario. It's about probabilities and about what's leaning and about flexibility or inflexibility uh, in the system. I would expect we're going to have some level of technical pullback sooner rather than later. Now, what does that mean? I'm not telling you. You got to pay for that. That's why. We, no, I'm just kidding. No, really, you do have to pay for that if you want me to tell you the exact answer uh, on that kind of thing. But no, we're due for a technical pullback. And when I say a technical pullback, that that basically means that if we've been running, you hear me say this a lot as well. If we've been running above the average for a significant amount of time, we need to run below the average for some measure of time in order to get. The average. I know. I mean, this is groundbreaking. It's not groundbreaking stuff. It really is. It's been around basically uh, as long as mathematics have been. But I say that somewhat anecdotally, somewhat uh, with a smile on my face. But to say that that's actually what has to happen because we think in straight lines. We do it all the time in the markets. Things are going up. We tend to think as a market, as a, as a buying public, things are going to continue to go up. When things are going down, we think in the exact same ways they're going to go down forever. Neither one of those is true. Cycles, folks, right? Peaks, valleys, a whole bunch of time in between. We move like uh, oceans on the water. And that's very, oh, excuse me, waves on the water. Oceans on the water? Nope, swing and a miss. Waves on the water when it comes to, to the movements in the market. So you want to think in those ways, especially in times like this where we've been running above the average. It's it's going to come. It's, there's going to be a technical correction at some point. When is it going to happen? Again, I don't have, well, I do, no, I don't. No, I don't. I can't, I can't even pretend that I do uh, have that kind of information. But uh, but it's important to keep it in mind because we know that it's going to happen. You want to be prepared. You want to talk like Rob was talking about. You want to be able to manage your downside risk. You want to make sure that you have that strategy in place before it happens. After it happens, it's too late. 
You want to make sure that you're doing it into a position of strength. Well, friends, I appreciate so much you hanging with us here on this week's version of Dollars and Cents presented by North Main Financial. I'm Joshua Doby here on WSIC. And until the next time, I'll look forward to talking with you soon. The new 105.9, 100.7 WSIC, Statesville, W290DK, Mooresville, Lake Norman, North Charlotte.